0: Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, JD Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms, we talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a a mental mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative?
1: Welcome, everyone. Today, J.D. and I are so excited to have Amy Ferris on our show. Amy is an author, a screenwriter, a girlfriend to many. I want to be at the top of the list every day. A playwright. Her memoir, Marrying George Clooney, Confessions from a Midwife Crisis was put on Broadway. She's a film writer. She uses her voice every day on Facebook to inspire the powerful voices of women and her voice to change the world. Let us not be silent any longer, she says. Let us write and speak and share our stories of other women, often humans, who feel and let them feel less alone. Let us stand together and declare our wealth. Welcome, Queen Amy Ferris.
0: (laughs) That's quite an introduction.
1: She deserves it.
0: I agree. Amy, we're so happy that you could join us today. You know, I I feel like we became fast friends and I just got allowed onto your Facebook page. So I can't imagine now uh, connecting every day through Facebook. I'll be inspired as well. So thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: For sure. So, you know, you have become quite the Facebook phenomena. What was the catalyst for that?
2: Um, There were actually two catalysts. One was when I wrote Marrying George Clooney, when I wrote my memoir, Mm
0: -hmm. my
2: publisher said, you need a presence on Facebook. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean, a presence on Facebook? And then what happened was I wrote a post, which was called, this is what I know, post coffee, pre-wine. And it was about women awakening to their greatness. I didn't know what to write. So I wrote this post about a, a women awakening to their greatness and standing in their power and not taking shit from anybody and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it went viral. And I had no idea what that meant. Wow. And so I decided okay, people need to be encouraged. People are looking for inspiration. People are looking for ways to get out of bed in the morning. Now this was eight or nine years ago. And so I decided that every single day, no matter what, I was gonna wake up and write a post to encourage and inspire people to become the best that they can be.
0: And I
1: have not missed
0: a day. Not a day in nine years, that's incredible.
1: And it's not just one post a day. Often it's many, many more, right? Well, it started being many more actually a couple of
2: years ago when Donald Trump grifted into the White House. (laughs)
0: Grifted, I love that.
2: And I felt compelled to write about men like him who are violent and predatory and that having him in the White House was an assault on all of us. So I started to become more political In I started moving away from being inspirational, J.D. Yeah, I get (laughs) it. Get out of bed, do your work, you know. Right. I got your back to really wanting people to stand up to hate and violence. So now I write a couple of posts a day. That's
0: great. That's a great story. Where did it go viral? Did you write it on... um, Facebook? I mean, like, how did that happen?
2: All of a sudden, you know, and like I said, I had no idea. I mean, Facebook to me was, you know, an odd place. Right. Um, and it, people started sharing that post.
0: Oh, okay. That's it happened. All right. I got you it. Know,
2: it's like all of a sudden people started liking it and loving it and commenting on it and sharing it. And, but what I saw, really saw was that I had hit a nerve and the nerve was... We all need to be inspired.
0: It's true. Very true. Well, there's something that you've made um, very public, and that is the suicidality you experienced. Can you talk to us about what led you in and what guided you out of that period in your life?
2: When I was a little girl, you mean? Yeah. Um, What led me in, to be very, very honest with you, was that I didn't feel enough as a little girl. I felt very awkward and you know I felt ugly. I felt ugly and and unloved and I would hide in my room and I would write in a journal and and then one day I took an overdose of pills. My dad had I think oral surgery. I could be making that up, but I'm not sure. But he had oral surgery or he had, and he had, uh, not Darvon, what is it called, Susie? Percocet? Percocet or Mm Percadam. And I took it. I took all of it. And I ran downstairs to the basement to my dad. And I said, "I, I did something really bad, dad. And he took me to the hospital to get my stomach pumped. Because what I realized too, J.D., is when you're, when you're young and really what you're looking for is attention. Right. You want to be loved. You want to be seen. You want to be heard. And I didn't really want to die. I wanted someone to see me. And I didn't come out of that until I was maybe 19, 20. Wow. So I dropped out of high school. I went to live on a commune, which is a whole other weird story. <laughs> I did a lot of drugs. I mean, I was as messed up and as rebellious as anybody could be. And you
0: never had the support of mental health through that, huh? You just kind of...
2: That was, what, 50 years ago?
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you, you managed to, to navigate that.
2: So what happened was that I, I became a Buddhist. I started practicing Buddhism.
0: Oh, okay.
2: And that gave me a community. And I think this is what I think is, and it was it was a very imperfect community, as you can imagine. You know, right. anytime you belong to any kind of organized religion, there's going to be some kind of hell show <laughs> that you're a yeah. part of. And what I desperately needed was a community. Right. And that community is what gave me confidence and gave me courage and gave me hope. And I think that's what we all want, right? Mm -hmm. So we all want to be part of a community. We all want to be thought of. We want to know that somebody has our back and is not stabbing us in the back. We want to know that people can help us and guide us. So when I was 19, 20, that's what happened to me. I fell into this, you know, this Buddhist organization. And it was very, very, very wonderful for a young girl to feel that people had their arms around her.
0: Mm, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. Would you say that the suicidality ended or you just learned to manage it in your lifetime?
2: No, it didn't end. Uh, You know, and that's something that I think people really need to know is that this is not stuff that goes away. Right. It's stuff that is lodged in pieces of our body. Exactly. Yeah. Anybody who has had their heart broken is that's going to find a way into those cracks. Mm-hmm. Right. Anybody who's been rejected or been made to feel horrible about their life. So, no, does it go away? No. There are moments when I think, geez, wouldn't it be great to just fucking end it all? Yeah. Um, But I think the difference is that I also have a little bit more wisdom. I understand that that feeling is temporary. Mm -hmm. I believe that if we can get through those temporary moments, whether we pick up a phone or we we've been there before. So we have the wisdom, right? We have the wisdom and the knowledge and the knowing. So I just encourage people that when they're feeling that way, that it's really temporary. And temporary can be a week. Right. <laughs> it's not just a moment. Mm-hmm. Depression is not something that comes and goes like the flu. It's, right. um, it's hard to navigate depression when the world is so weak and, and wobbly.
0: That's so poetic. Go ahead, Suze. what do you want to say? Oh, I
1: was just going to say, as a clinician and JD being a clinician, I, I think I'm speaking on behalf of both of us, but JD will definitely speak up if I'm not. Thank you for your honesty, because the, the depression, the trauma that lives in the body, it lives in the body. And JD and I always, JD taught me that experience and trauma really lives in the body and to listen to that. And so many people are like, oh, I'm over it. It's done. Get over it. Just take a walk around the block, take a bath, and it'll be fine. So I just want to, I want to salute you for being so transparent with your story.
0: Absolutely. You share so much of your heart and soul on Facebook every day. And now to find out it's been nine years, that's incredible. How's it been sustainable? And and what's your motivation?
2: My motivation is very, very simple, J.D. I mm-hmm. want every single woman to awaken to their greatness. Mm-hmm. And if it takes me the rest of my life, I will post something every day. And I genuinely mean that. I, I think that the heart that I have and the compassion I have, and Susie and I have talked about this. I am a real firm believer that every mistake I have ever made has an opportunity to be turned into my mission. From being that little girl who tried to kill herself, turning that into the mission of wanting to help young women. And women, you know, understand that, yes, you know, that's okay to feel that way. You know, but here's what you can do. Having an abortion when I was a young girl turned me into an advocate of wanting women to love themselves, to not give themselves away so easily to the boy that says, wow, you're cute. Because the mistakes we make, JD, are not the abortion. It's the boys that we sleep with who don't love us. Or the girls. Or the girls, but we can't get pregnant with the girls. That's true. So so
0: that's the point. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's the point. And boys seem to get off the hook. You know, it's like it's all on the girl's shoulder. And I want girls and boys to be raising themselves to see how much they're worth. Because the truth is, if a 15-year-old girl gets pregnant and there's a 16-year-old boy who impregnated her, both of those lives can be ruined. That's right. So wouldn't it be wonderful to teach those young boys and girls the value of their own life? It sounds like your
0: motivation is what
2: makes it sustainable. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes sense. It is. And yeah, it is. Thank you me.
0: know, you advocate so strongly for the empowerment of women and people have a reaction when I say, I'm not a feminist. And historically, in my experience, I've not, ex- I've not, I've not had the women's movement advocating on behalf of the African-American community and other people of color. And so, you know, it's been difficult to tie what I believe is women's empowerment um, and be a womanist, you know, but to distance myself slightly from being a feminist because what that movement has meant in my experience. How do you respond to that?
2: I say you should live your truth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's good. I like that.
2: I I think... We all we have are are our experiences, Mm -hmm. right? That's all we have. And I, you know, yes, I think I am a feminist because I grew up with that, but I love womanist. I think that's really, really powerful and wonderful. I think that's really great. And I also think the truth is, is that we're all, it's everything is being navigated right now. You know, there's been so many wounds and so many hurts and so many, disappointments you know i i believe that right now we have the opportunity to kind of help each other heal each other work with each other hold each other so i think it's wonderful i think you're living your truth and how bad can that be
0: <laughs> yeah look it's worked out for me and it's not worked out for me so it's it's i i accept it as my truth i just want to I want to find a way to bridge the gap. And I know, you know, it's clear to me that your goal is to reach a diverse community of women. Um, But there has to be a strategy, you know, because you have to talk to women of color slightly differently than you talk to women in the white dominant culture. And that's because of the challenges we've had with each other. You know, there's resentment. And so I'm just curious, what what do you think your strategy has to be to mix it up a little bit and get the different voices to be represented in your community? the community that you reach?
2: I think that we need to find grace, to quote Mm -hmm. my friend, Alexia. I think we need to find grace. I think, I have to be honest with you, JB, there are a lot of white women that I can't stand. (laughs) (laughs) They make me feel like, (laughs) I, I think, oh my God, you know, but if I didn't know what color they were, I would be appalled at what comes out of their mouth. Mm -hmm. So, to me, I, and I mean this genuinely, I judge people by what comes out of their mouth Mm -hmm. because to me, that's, they have to live with that. They have to live with those words. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I have a Black friend who has been absolutely off the charts, vicious to white people. Right. Mm-hmm. And it it's, you know, so I try really hard to think, OK, you know, how do we talk to each other? How do we see each other through a lens that's a part of living together, humanity?
0: You know, it's tough because there's such a history that's so um, tainted with being oh. abandoned by the white community and in particular by white women, because we expect women to women first, you know, but what we experience is it's whiteness first. And that's, that's a, that's a challenge for us to heal when it continues to happen, when you re-traumatize the wound. And so I think it's important that we find a way to receive the validation and have the conversation that, yeah, this has been really rough. You have been abandoned. And so this is how we're going to remedy that you know, because that's where the healing begins. The healing begins with honesty and, you know, like you said, living our truth. And even though it may not be in you, it's the community, you know, and just like Black people get judged on the community, you know, but that doesn't happen with white people. You don't get judged on the whole community. And so there's just different rules that make it challenging for us to navigate towards the, you know, avenue of healing. And And I love to be a part of trying to figure out how we do that.
2: You know, I think it's really important that white people understand that we stand on the back of black men and women. Yes. I think it is so very important. The truth is, is that white men were in power while black men and women were building this country. And that it is so vital that we understand. I mean, none of us would be here if it weren't for the African-American community or black men and women the truth is that the stories that we've all been told over the years are so incredibly false. I, you know, yes. I are Yeah. Yes. That's a brilliant mm-hmm. word. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think because of that, there are so many stories that people hear and they go, Oh, that never happened or that didn't right. happen. That person is full of shit or, you know, and I think that this is where, the truth, you know what it, the 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 truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, I love that.
2: Said that you know, I think we've been fed so many lies, yeah, and I'm not talking trump, I'm talking about no, I don't know our history you know mis-education.
0: Have- I call it the miseducation of America
2: yes, and yeah. we've been fed so many lies, and white people feel that they are supreme and they're not. And I also really truly believe that anybody who feels supreme is coming from a place of real inadequacy, right? Absolutely. And, and inferiority. I, you know, anytime, I, you know, it's like I look at the white supremacists and I think, oh, God, you people just feel so small, don't you? <laughs>
0: right. And live, and live in fear.
2: And live, they, yes. It's and so all fear-based. fear based. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they want to scare you and me because that's all they know.
0: You know, there's this, there's this meme that says, um, something, something I'm going to mess it up and something like, do you think, you know, why people are going to be the, the minority in the, in the near future? And do you think something's wrong with that? That's why they're so afraid. You know, do you think, <laughs> do you think people in the minority have been mistreated and that's why they're so afraid something to that effect, but well, that's the fear. That's and, the fear.
2: And that is, and that is the fear. And that mm-hmm. is the truth. And, you know, desperation breeds desperation and fear breeds fear and anytime people need to use violence in that way it's because they don't have a sense of their own worth so true Right. and the one thing that I do worry about in the world that we're living in I do worry that people are going to feel more suicidal, attempt to take their lives they have been Yes. And I think it is up to many of us to inspire them, you know, to live their truth, to find out what's in them that's preventing them from touching another life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that's one of the things that Susie and I really want to accomplish with the show is we want to make mental health more user friendly and help people understand that, you know, we can all remove the stigma and get the support that we need. You know, And so if we start to talk about difficult things, including race relations and uh, mental health issues, that people will feel like it's more approachable. But I'm going to shift gears. Susie, you had something you wanted to add before I shift gears? Well,
1: I just was thinking about toxic femininity, which is something that JD came up with and about the white women that have shouldered up the men um, that do vote for Trump and how the white women are absolutely a part of the problem that has been invisibilized and not talked about. So that just came up for me when both of you were talking about the the history of America that's been so rewritten and whitewashed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks for adding that. So I wanna talk about aging because you've been so vocal with this <laughs> transition in your life and uh, I think it was a Facebook Live. I don't it was great yeah. that I saw. Yeah, yeah. I saw it.
2: Oh, it's my first one.
0: Yeah, you did a good job. I really enjoyed it. Well, she always does. And so welcome to the club. I'm going to (laughs) be, how old am I? I'm 61. 58. Yeah, the the transition's huge, you know? So I get it. What's been the most important lesson that you have learned, like transitioning into this part of your life?
2: You know, the most important lesson, and somebody, you know, there's always that thing, you know, what would you write your younger self?
0: Yeah, I love those. I love those. Okay, the
2: letter I would write my younger self, is do absolutely everything. <laughs> do it, and because who you're going to be at 65 is going to be the woman you have always wanted to be at 13, at 10, at 14, at 18. I thought about that a lot recently because I know there's so many. Let you know. The, what would you write your younger self? Oh, I'd write her not to date Joe. <laughs> really. <laughs> Or write her, you know, oh, you know, don't get breast implants. I would be writing my younger self, do everything that you are going to do. That's awesome. Do it. Love that.
0: I've, I've literally not heard that before. So that's no, pretty great. And,
2: and J.D., the thing is, I wouldn't be who I am if yes. I hadn't done all of that stuff. And some of that stuff was bad and shitty and scary and weird, but I wouldn't be who I am. And mm-hmm. I love who I am. So that's what I would like because I think we have something in this, in within the feminine community is that we need to feel bad about who we were when we were younger or the things that we did or, you know, or even how we address our own lives. And I think that that's also a way of saying, oh, we weren't enough. You know, everybody says, you know, you are enough, you are enough. Well, if we are enough, if we truly are enough then everything we did to become enough is who we, are, who we need to be.
0: That's beautiful. Who and, you know, it's, it's so powerful what you're saying because there is a lot of lip service in uh, the concepts of women empowerment. And I love that idea of what you're saying, which is actually live it. If it, if it, if it is, if you are enough, then act like you're enough. <laughs> stop adding stuff and doing stuff and faking stuff. So because it's a contradiction.
2: <laughs> and, and stop saying you are enough to everybody. You know what I mean? It's, yeah,
0: like stop saying it until you're it.
2: <laughs> and, and I do really believe that the only way that we actually truly own that we are enough is if we look at the lives that we have at this very moment and go, God, this is how I got here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Everything that I did to get me here, I would do again. Because Amazing. I have so much compassion for for women especially who's who really don't like themselves and don't love themselves and who feel that if they have more of something like my husband my birthday came up right and my husband said what do you want Amy what do you want and I said I don't want any well I wanted Dustbuster you know that was <laughs> what I wanted. oh
0: I love Dustbusters me
2: too I just got one Got a dustbuster. And I was telling a friend of mine, and she said, You didn't, you really didn't want any jewelry. And (laughs) I thought, If you saw the shit that I have in my jewelry box that I don't wear, and seriously, I wear the same thing every day. It's like, Why want more of something that you don't wear or use just to prove that you can get it when everyone in the world right now has? Or a good ninety percent of humans right now have so little.
0: uh, That's the thing, you know. People think that I'm against the holidays and I don't like, you know, people celebrating. It's not. It's just how how do you celebrate so excessively when you see the suffering in the world? I don't get it, you know. But that's just me.
2: Either I absolutely, hands down, do not get it. I don't understand why people want more of things. You know, and I can understand, I'm a real advocate of art. I'm a real advocate of supporting artists and, you know, and buying art or having art. And I think that this is something we need to start talking about too, is if you go around saying you're enough, then you are enough. Yes. Enough is not more. Enough is
1: enough. Yeah,
0: that's great. That's great. Susie, go ahead. You take over. Thank you.
1: You just brought up your birthday and you celebrate your marriage every single day. The messy, snotty, loving, imperfect, perfectly imperfect. And I can has actually become a celeb as well. I remember I phoned the house once and I got such a rush that I can answered the phone. (laughs) Tell us what the secret to your success is with your marriage. I like him love that. I love that. Isn't it? it? It's everything. I like him.
2: You know, he's... I'm going to get very emotional because he's going to be turning 80 very soon. Mm. Yes. Wow. And I've been with him for 28 years.
0: Mm, It's beautiful.
2: And I'm going to tell you all this wonderful secret because, you know, before I met Ken, I thought I had to jump through hoops for men, right? I thought I had to like be something for them, for them to love me. Because, you know, that's the kind of rom-com shit, right? It's like the last 10 minutes of a movie, you know, the person who's in a coma wakes up and, oh my God, I've always loved her. Um, Ken was the first man that made me want to be myself. I didn't, want to do anything special for him. I didn't want to make him love me. I didn't want to buy him any goodies. I didn't want to, it was like, all of a sudden I became Amy. And I said to him, when you can, when I can call you, when you can give me your number, then we'll start going out. So everything that I had done before that, Stopped in like a 90 second thing. I mean that and I don't think I've ever shared that with anybody I was able to be me for the first time in 38 years And I knew that if I could be me with Ken then he was the right man for me because then I would grow And I'd be able to become the woman that I always wanted to be He's a good kind man You know I always say, you know, there's that, you know, oh, you got to marry well. No, you got to marry good, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? You got to love good. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. I love good. Find that person that loves you good. And I don't think I could ever be the woman that I am in myself if it hadn't been to be with a man who wanted me to be that woman. How do you you add to that?
1: You, You really can't. It's so beautiful. And you just use the word becoming. And, you know, it feels like Ken is just always there and allowing both of you to always, in the words of Michelle Obama, becoming. That nothing is fixed. It's all fluid. And there are good days and there are bad days. But if you have that over, you just know, this is my person and I like him, or them, or I her. Like I like him. You know, I like him. And... beautiful, Amy. Thank, thank you for sharing that. I'm gonna give you my favorite part of the show, which is just one word association. So I'm gonna throw out some words and you just answer with one word, whatever comes up for you. Okay. Okay. Women. Grace. White privilege. Fucked. Racism. Ugly. Mental health. Necessary. Wine. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's kind of perfect. (laughs) It's so perfect. JD, take us home. Okay. Um, Wait, I'm still recovering from the perfection. (laughs) Um, Okay. And you guys are three hours ahead, so you get it before I do. Yeah, right. (laughs) Amy, if you had one
0: superpower, what would it be and why?
2: If I had one superpower, it would be to make this world kinder, more generous, more inclusive. And I'm gonna really cry now, JD. If I had a superpower, I would want everyone to feel loved so that there would be no violence and hate. If I had one superpower, I would want people to not be without.
0: I love that. It resonates with me. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much. Got me crying at noon.
0: All right, a little clearer by the time it's wine time. What's next for you?
2: I am now the co-director of the Story Summit Writers School, which is like it came in the middle of this pandemic and was offered David Kirkpatrick, who I know that Susie knows. He was the former president of Paramount Pictures and Disney. And he left the film business a few years ago and decided that stories were the most important thing, storytellers, right? So he started what was co- co-founded the Story Summit and it was for men to women and men within the film and publishing and the story world to mentor folks who wanted to tell their story. And so he brought me in about a year and a half ago. He invited me to be a mentor and thought I was super sassy and wonderful. And oh my God, Amy, you're like the queen of this. And, and during the pandemic, he decided that what better way than to start a school, a story school? And so Deb Engel, who wrote The Only Prayer You Will Ever Need, which is such a stunning book, and I became the co-directors of this wonderful adventure. And we we didn't know what we were doing. It was kind of like, here, do this. And so we decided that we were going to create something unique and affordable and wonderful. We have put together one week a month, J.D., Mm -hmm. It's a theme. And we bring in five instructors for each two hours each day. And they're like our dream writers and authors and filmmakers. And, you know, it's like, you know, to call up somebody and say, Hey, I you know would you teach for two hours? You know we're doing a week oh. called She Writes Week, or we're doing Friends Week, or we're doing Hallmark Week, and about romance and love, and and so we've gotten all of these extraordinary authors and executives wow. to that's teach.
1: Fabulous.
2: Deb and I are the co-directors, and we thought, what better gift to give people who have a story to tell? And the thing that's the best out of it, JD, is that all of these folks are starting to feel like they can write, they can tell their story. And yeah. during the Hallmark Week, two of the women who wrote stories got two producers to pick them up. And so, yes! So it's like we're creating magic within the school. And wow, that's
0: amazing. I want to come take the class for a me week.
2: Me too. That's great. You know, and we wanted it to be one of those things where You know, it's not about writing workshops. It's Mm -hmm. really about, okay, this is what we're offering up. We're doing a week of sacred writing with Scott Stable, right? Who I reached out to. He's like one of my favorites. And I was like, oh, I'm going to reach out. (laughs) And he was like, of course, I'll do this with you. Of course. And Louis Soraria. And we've got 61 instructors that we've given jobs to during a time when people have no work. So we're giving work to people, we're giving instructors a job and really paying and giving and we're giving writers an opportunity to be in a class with their very favorite authors. It's that's what I'm doing. I think that's enough. <laughs> that's and um, I want to be a womanist. I love yeah. that. <laughs> hey, get yes. on board. Yes. I'm coming on board. All right, it's, it's an
0: it's an open door. Amy, you know, so I've heard so many incredible things about you and I'm now following you and totally interested in what you have to say. Meeting you and having this conversation, time just flew by. You are a wealth of warmth and uh, love and light. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us today. And I know Susie has to say some, give you some love as well. Go ahead, Susie.
1: I read your words every day. I will, I will private message her sometimes saying, you know, this one really, this one knocked me down or whatever it is, but having you here for the last 40 minutes, hour is so, I'm so inspired. I am so incredibly just honored to be in your life. And for me, that's enough. And so, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you and JD met because women need to unite and shoulder each other up. Your One words. Up. Yes. And I know that this is the beginning of a lot of other things for us. So, thank you, Amy. And Susie, thank you for
2: saving me on many, many days.
1: Mm.
2: Thank you. Thank you for seeing me and holding my hand on days that were really hard for me and you know that you know that over the last couple of years you did you came in and you you knew that I was sad or you knew I was going through something and you came in and gave me your hand and I don't think any of us could want more from anybody right awesome
1: thank you that's our that's there. our shoes
2: and it's always there It is so wonderful (laughs) to meet you.
0: It's wonderful to meet you. Well, we'll be in contact for sure.
2: Thank you for having me. All right.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.